morning, Infused Church. So glad to have you with our with us today for services online. My name is Rob Williams. Like Taylor said, uh, I am the lead pastor of a small church up in Charles City, Iowa. That's northeast Iowa, called the Bridge. And man, you may not know this, but at the Bridge, we consider ourselves partners with all of you down here in Tiffin, Iowa. You are partners in the gospel. And uh, uh, before this whole COVID nineteen mess began, uh, your awesome pastor asked if I could come down and and preach for you guys and and give you, give him a little bit of a break. And I was excited to take that opportunity. And hopefully by the end of the morning, you're excited to, that, that, I'm, that I've been able to join you as well. Um, once again, my name's Rob, and I'm the pastor at a, a small church called the Bridge Church in Charles City, Iowa, a small town of about 7,500 people in Northeast Iowa. And, and believe it or not, your pastor and I actually have a lot in common. Uh, first off, we're both devilishly handsome. Secondly, uh, we both got our start as lead pastors back in 2015. We're both in our 30s. And not only that, both of us have a wife named Stephanie. That's right. Uh, my Stephanie, though, is actually Canadian. Uh, and I have a beautiful family of, of four children, ages nine to four. You can actually pray for us, okay? I like to say that two is great. Three is a lot, four is a zoo when it comes to kids. And uh, man, we were, just, we were just so blessed to be with you guys today. All right, so that's me. Uh, hopefully you can find it in your heart to lend me your ears today. Today I, wanna, I thought we could uh, dive into a topic that I think every single one of us can relate to. And actually, you can almost put this as a footnote to your DIY series that you guys just wrapped up. It's something that many of us tend to be afraid of, but because we're, and because we're so afraid of it, it ends up costing us. Today I want to talk to you about a topic that I think could be perfect for all of us during a time like this while we're forced into close proximity with our loved ones. Today I want to talk to you about conflict. Conflict is all about addressing the elephant in the room. And for many of us, we have one of two reactions to conflict. Many of us can't help but address the elephant in the room, while I think a lot of us do everything possible to avoid it a lot of times. In my marriage, Stephanie and I are on opposing sides of that spectrum, if you will. Uh, Stephanie, being the nice, gentle, loving Canadian that she is, she hates conflict. I wouldn't say that she's afraid to address it, but she definitely hates it. And, and honestly, my staff at the bridge aren't much different. They all hate conflict. Meanwhile, at my worst, <clears throat> I tend to be a bull in a china shop when it comes to conflict at, at my worst. I can't help but address the elephant in the room. It makes me so absolutely uncomfortable. If it's there, I really, really struggle just to let it be and leave it alone. How about you? What are your tendencies when it comes to conflict? Do me a favor, go ahead and type in the chat box right now your answer to that question. What are your tendencies? Do you tend to run away from conflict or tend to run to it? I'll be honest with you, I think conflict is something that many in our society struggle with, especially here in Iowa. I, I think some of this has to do with culture. I think some of it has to do with uh, our upbringing. I think some of it has to do with the Midwestern mentality that just does everything possible not to make a scene, even if it's at the expense of our very own personal comfort. Have you ever heard of the term Iowa nice? The, the, the term Iowa nice, it's, it's this idea that, that treat people just in Iowa just treat everyone like they're their neighbor, but then behind their backs, it's a little bit different, right? Mostly, I think we struggle with conflict because there aren't too many of us that actually know what healthy conflict looks like. Forget whatever issues of anxiety or introversion you might, introversion you might be dealing with. Forget whatever issue it might be that's separating you from others. Conflict itself has become the elephant in the room for so many. Would you agree? 
It's the awkward topic that no one wants to address, so we do everything we can to avoid it a lot of times. And, and when we've even come up with a term for avoiding conflict now, right? Some of the older generation might not know about this, but the younger generation has come up with a term for avoiding people and conflict when they don't want to deal with it. It's called ghosting. Anybody heard that term before? To ghost someone is to end a relationship. It's to end a relationship with someone by suddenly withdrawing all communication without explanation. They don't answer the phone. They don't call back. They don't email or text. Many times, this is done to resist conflict, to resist telling someone you don't like them or, or that a relationship isn't working out or that there's an issue that's broken down trust, whatever it may be. To avoid the conflict, it's as though they turn into a ghost. And quite honestly, I don't blame many of us for being this way. Not dealing with conflict, not addressing the elephant in the room is the easier way out, isn't it? It's the easier way out. I think that's why we live in such a tolerant society, because tolerance is easier than dealing with the issues. And tolerance is easier than stepping into the mess. Here's the thing, though. Jesus stepped into the mess all the time. Jesus was never afraid of conflict. Don't get me wrong, Jesus didn't run to conflict, but he definitely didn't shy away from it. The elephant in the room was never an issue for Jesus. The elephant in the room was never an issue for Jesus. Shoot, there were situations where not everyone in the room could even sense the elephant and Jesus would still address it. There were times where Jesus knew uh, uh, that certain, what certain people were just thinking and he would address it. He had to address it. All throughout his life and ministry, you can see that Jesus took conflict very seriously. I would go so far to say that conflict was even a vital piece of Jesus' ministry. Check this out. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to go ahead and turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We're going to check out a story where Jesus addresses an elephant with a woman that he doesn't, that doesn't even really know him all that well. And not only that, the way he addresses the elephant goes much further than you or I could ever imagine. Like I said, we'll be in John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you or you don't have an app for that, I like to say, I'd like to encourage you to download an awesome app called YouVersion. That's Y-O-U version. It's like a social media Bible app that allows you to read scripture, share it with others, and even get into devo free devotional content on a daily basis, okay? John chapter 4 is where we're going to be, and, and, and while you turn there, uh, let me just give you some background, Okay. Jesus and the disciples had just finished walk, walking about a two-day journey from Judea, and they ended up in a place called Sychar. He sits down by a well while the disciples go off and find some lunch, okay? Jesus is tired. And at this point, Jesus isn't all that well-known, and, and because he's just shown up in Sychar, he really, not really many people know him at all. As he sits there to take a rest, a Samaritan woman approaches the well that he's sitting at. And he asks her to draw him up some water. Now, this is a big deal because not only is she a woman, she's a Samaritan and he's a Jew. During this time, for a man to speak to a woman that isn't a part of his family was frowned upon. And not only that, the Jews and Samaritans absolutely hated each other due to the fact that they had this massive cultural divide that was going on between them throughout the, the Old Testament history and during that entire period. Two elephants, boom, she's a woman, boom, she's a Samaritan, right off the bat. And Jesus still speaks to her. And this confuses her a little bit. But Jesus presses, and he begins to share the gospel with her. The fact that if she knew who he was and what he had to offer, she would actually be the one asking him for water. 
Only the water that he had to offer was living water that could save her soul. This is what's recorded in John. Jesus says this. Check this out. There we go. All right. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. He's talking about the water from the well. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In disbelief, the woman asks Jesus where and how she could possibly get this living water like she did from the well so often that they were sitting next to. And this was Jesus' response. Let's pick things up in verse 16. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, actually, you're right. When you say you have no husband, as a matter of fact, you've had five husbands. And the man that you now have is not even your husband. What what, What you've just said is quite true. So the woman responded, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming and will come when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. He's talking about the Jews, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, I, the one who am speaking to you, I am he. What if I told you that conflict was a good thing? What if I told you that conflict could be a sign of health? What if I told you that conflict could be a sign of trust? What if I told you that there was a better way to manage conflict than just the two ends of the spectrum that we talked about earlier? It's hard to imagine, isn't it? It's hard to imagine because so many of us have only experienced unhealthy versions of conflict. But Jesus models healthy conflict here for us. Jesus wasn't afraid to confront this woman in her sin. He didn't run headlong into the situation like a bull in a china shop, but he also didn't run away from it. Because Jesus knew what the conflict was doing. You see, the conflict was creating separation. And he knew the potential of unaddressed conflict. You see, Jesus was modeling something that I think many of us miss so often because Jesus understood something vitally important about relationships. Here's what he understood. Are you ready? We're going to put it on the screen. Jesus understood that deep, meaningful relationships are impossible They're impossible if you're not willing to address the elephant in the room. Deep, meaningful relationships aren't possible without conflict. Because you have to have conflict in order to really grow with one another and actually deal with situations and baggage and differences. Unaddressed conflict creates separation. And it has the potential to raise up anger and hatred and bitterness and pride in our hearts. Think about conflict in your own life and what it's done to you in your own heart. I can almost guarantee you relate to all of those things. 
When I think about this, it's easy for me to think about marriages. Honestly, when I think about this more than anything, I think about the days or nights that I've fought with my own wife. Um, my wife and I, uh, you don't know this, but my wife and I, our first year of marriage was very, very difficult. Um, we were both stubborn oxes, and we had a lot of difficulty in our first year of marriage, and, and we fought relentlessly, it seemed like, some nights. When you have unresolved conflict in your marriage, or let's just say a relationship in general, what happens between the two of you? Just ask yourself that question. When there's unresolved conflict, what happens? You're tense with one another, right? Maybe you don't want to be in the same room. You don't talk to one another. And even if you do, it's just surface level garbage, right? Your heart hurts and you can feel the tension in the room. And, 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 and at times, others can feel that tension as well. And at the root of it all, at the root of it all, you feel the sense of separation. There's this sense of separation that you feel. I don't know, maybe some of you are better than that, and you don't feel that way, but that's definitely how I feel. And when it happens in my marriage, those are the worst days. Can I just tell you that? Those are the worst days in my marriage and some of the worst days in my life. The peace and trust or lack thereof between Stephanie and I has so much control over the quality of my life. I cannot focus when there's unaddressed conflict in our marriage and when there's separation. Stephanie has the keys to my heart, and when that door is slammed shut, man, it hurts. It hurts so much, and both of us can feel it. You know, I think it's pretty clear that Jesus sensed the same thing between himself and that woman. Being God himself, he knew that he would not be able to minister to this woman unless they dealt with her sin first. Because that's what sin does too. Sin separates. It separates us from our Heavenly Father and it separates us from one another. Which then brings about an interesting question. Let me just challenge you with this question. I want you to think about this. Could, could unaddressed conflict be considered sinful? Can unaddressed conflict be considered sinful? I think it can if it's creating separation between you, God, and others. It's doing the exact same thing that sin does. One article I found on the subject put it this way. It writes that um, avoidance of conflict with no effort to resolve it postpones a proper response and exacerbates the problem because conflicts that are allowed to fester unaddressed will always, what's that word? They will always increase and have negative effects on relationships. We have a God of relationship, and anything that has a negative effect on relationships could possibly and probably be considered sinful, can't it? This is, many times, the outcomes of unaddressed conflict can only be negative. This is why I'm always more concerned about couples that don't argue or talk than those that do. This is why married couples that tend to stop talking usually end up in divorce not long after. This is why you get that pit in your stomach when your friends roll their eyes at each other over unaddressed situations that are contentious between one another. No one wants to address it, but everyone in the room can feel it. Patrick Lencioni, an author and expert on, uh, on organizational leadership, would concur with this idea. He argues that when you're not willing to address conflict, it's inevitable that backbiting and gossiping will only follow, which degrades trust and hurts relationships, your team, and others. Which leads us to this realization. While conflict can be a sign of dysfunction, believe it or not, it can also be a sign of security and trust. 
Many times, the lie that we believe is that if we address a conflicting situation, we'll lose the relationship. This comes from uh, a great uh, uh, leadership expert by the name of Joseph Grenny, as he talks about crucial conversations. Um, I, I believe you guys actually talked about this a few weeks ago in your DIY series. While conflict can be a sign of dysfunction, it can also be a sign of trust. And the lie that we believe is that we'll lose the relationship if we address the conflict. But here's the deal. True love and care for someone is the willingness to address a problem in a relationship because you genuinely care about them. The problem is that a statement like that doesn't make it any easier to address, does it? I mean, be honest with me, it doesn't make it any easier. Like like many of you aren't jumping at the opportunity to go address all of your problems and conflicts because I just told you all of those things, right? I think it's difficult I think it's difficult because conflict needs to be addressed, but then there's, this also, there's also this thing that says, you know, just because something's true doesn't mean it needs to be said, and we come up with all these excuses. And this drives us all the way back to what I believe is the most important piece of addressing conflict, and that is our motive. If, if you're taking notes, just write that one word down, motive. Jesus' motive in dealing with the woman's sin was not to call her out in front of everyone. It wasn't to shame her or to destroy her reputation or, or her character. It wasn't about attacking her. It wasn't about her sin alone or putting himself on a pedestal over her to show her how much better than her he was. Jesus addressed it privately. He addressed it personally, and he addressed it with love in his heart. It was about getting her to know God in a personal way, and that meant dealing with her sin first. The Apostle Paul uh, actually addressed uh, this idea of motive in Scripture when he wrote to the church in Ephesus. Check out what he said. He said, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort that you can to hold on to unity through the Spirit and the bond of peace, he said. Let me ask you a question. What's your motive as you look to address conflict? I think that's a vitally important question. What is your motive as you look to address the elephant in the room? Is your motive to be right or to restore the relationship? Is your motive a self-righteous one or a redeeming one? Do you have a lot easier time calling out other people's sins than actually dealing with your own? Because if so, that's a huge problem. That's called pride, right? We have to deal with the pride and sin in our own hearts before we can ever deal with the pride and sin of others. Pride keeps us from a spirit of love. Pride separates us from a spirit of gentleness. Pride makes it impossible, impossible to have a spirit of humility as we address situations. Jesus, in his one example of so, on this one example of so many throughout his ministry, shows us the importance of conflict. The fact that the elephant in the room, a lot of times, probably needs to be addressed. Because without conflict, you can't have deep, meaningful relationships. Unaddressed, it will fester like a wound. And if our heart and our motives aren't pure, it can only hurt us in the long run. Jesus said this about motive. He said, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you can see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. 
One friend in college always used to tell me, check your plank, Rob, whenever I tried to call him out on something. Check your plank. Am I encouraging you to jump headlong into conflict? No. But I do want you to start thinking about how all these things uh, affect you. And I want you to think about what they mean for you personally today. Now, unfortunately, we don't have enough time to address how, we're, how to address conflict, but let me give you two scripture passages. I forgot to give these to Taylor so they won't be on the screen, but, but Matthew 18, go to Matthew 18 where Jesus talks about conflict in verses 15 through 20 if you're taking notes, and then also make sure you visit Galatians chapter 6. Those are great ways, great wisdom from scripture where God directs us on how to address conflict. But let me finish with this. What can, you do be, what can you do to begin addressing the elephant in the room? Ask yourself that. And how can you do it in gentleness and love? Not anger, not bitterness or jealousy, but gentleness and love like Jesus did with this woman at the well. I think God wants to challenge you with that this morning because God is a God of relationships and he cares deeply for you and he cares deeply about your relationships. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity um, to just uh, come together as a church, even digitally this morning, Father. Lord, I pray that um, you would help us to do everything possible to address conflict, to address the elephant in the room when necessary, God. Let us follow the marks in the direction of your son, Jesus, and help us to understand the importance of conflict in our lives, Lord. It's through conflict that we can truly begin to, to, to address issues, humble ourselves, and have deep, meaningful relationships with one another, Lord. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. I thank you for the opportunity to hang out with Infused Church today and for my brother Taylor. And I pray an awesome blessing over their family as they continue to, to address the mess in this difficult time. We love you, God, and we praise you. And we pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.